Hey, it's great to see everybody. How is everyone braving the cold weather? I mean, praise God, right? Like, I heard a couple people complaining and I wanted to slap them. Like, do you not remember what it was like two months ago when we lived on the surface of the sun? My car melted into a puddle. It was so hot. All the girls are so happy. It's pumpkin spice time and they can wear their boots. <laughs> Praise Jesus. Man. Okay, so we are going to talk about generosity tonight. Doesn't that sound fun? I know money is like my favorite thing to talk about, right? Yeah. Like, hey, what's better than getting in a room with a bunch of strangers and talking about money, huh? Not much is better than that. So generosity is a huge deal. And then we're going to dive into the scriptures in just a second. But have you all ever, um, have you all ever been on the receiving end of generosity? Right? It's pretty cool. Right? So I, I grew up really poor and um, not like, you know, poor. I couldn't afford like a new iPhone kind of poor. Like some people say, oh, life was so hard. It was so poor. Right? And really it just means that they couldn't buy a new car when they wanted to, you know. But like we were like actually poor. Like, like the way that we ate was like food was left on a doorstep for us, you know. So it's like, what's for breakfast? I don't know. Open the front door, you know. <laughs> Black eyed peas again. Right? And uh, I remember, so uh, when, when I got into college, right, um, there was this terrible situation where my car got stolen, okay? Like I worked at the summer camp, and I left it with a mechanic, and he said he was going to fix it, and he never did, and then he ended up taking, like, I got done working at the summer camp, and I show up at the mechanic shop, and it's like closed, and my car is gone. Like, what do you do, right? And so I had, at the time, the best roommate in history. I've talked about him before, Michael Jackson, right? Not like King of Pop, but a short, fat, white guy, right? Um, and Michael and his family were the most giving and generous people. I literally would not have made it through college if it weren't for them, right? Michael's family was wealthy enough that they were able to buy the house that he lived in. And so he let me stay there for free. That's the only way I could afford to go to college, right? And I gave him a ceremonial amount for rent. I would give him 12 cents a month. It was, it was just like symbolic, right? But I remember after my car got stolen, I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do. I got to walk to work like some kind of like weirdo who walks anymore, right? And, and, uh, and then one day I get a call from his dad, right? And uh, his dad's name, name is Greg. We call him Super G because he's Super G. Um, the dude played Monopoly with real houses. You know what I'm saying? He was like one of those dudes. And you legit didn't want to play Monopoly against him. It didn't matter. He was going to win. Like... Like, God made him and said, thus is a capitalist. It was amazing. But Super G was amazing. He called me, and um, he's not a man of many words. He's just like, um, well, Chris, um, we heard about your car, and uh, we're going to help you out. We're going to give you our car. Isn't that amazing? Right? And I was, like, so grateful, okay? And so the day comes, they pull up, and I get to see what car I'm getting. It's their old minivan. Right? What 24-year-old male doesn't want a minivan? You know what I'm saying? And one of the conditions of that was there's a bumper sticker on the back of this van. 
And Super G said, the only way that I would be allowed to keep the van is if I left the bumper sticker on the back, right? And this bumper sticker said, Republican women make great leaders. You're following one now. (laughs) And that bumper sticker stayed on that car until the day the car died, right? That was very generous of them. There was a couple strings attached, and, you know, my masculinity took a major hit. Um, But... But that car was awesome, right? And I was so grateful for it. So generosity is what keeps the world going, right? And if you've ever been on the receiving end of it, you know how awesome it can be, right? So it's not going to shock you that the Bible talks about being generous, right? So the scripture we're going to look at is going to be 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 5. Right? I'll give you a minute to open your Bibles to it or click the buttons on your app. I don't know. All right, and we also have it on the screen. So this is Paul, and he's writing to the Corinthian church, okay? And he says this, And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in the service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves, first of all, to the Lord, and then by the will of God also to us. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we need you to speak to us. Holy Spirit, we need you to move in our hearts. Lord, will you um, just help us understand what you want to say to us? Lord, we give you the right and the authority to change our hearts and minds as you see fit. God, we love you. You are so good and so kind to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Right? So this verse freaks me out. Okay? A lot of the Bible should freak you out. There's some freaky stuff in there. But this one's really weird to me, right? Okay, so the Corinthian church, they were like the Cadillac of churches, right? In the early church, like in this time period when it's just like everybody's a new Christian, the majority of Christians were like kind of outcasts from society, right? Or, or like they were slaves or servants, right? Or women that were considered non-persons according to Roman law, BT dubs. Isn't that weird? Yeah, okay. So it, was, it wasn't like the average Christian would have a lot of money, but the Corinthians were the exception, Right? Corinth was a town in Greece, and it was, like, perfectly located to have an awesome harbor and be a trade center. And it was also kind of like the Las Vegas of Greece, okay? They had, like, the temple to Aphrodite, right? And that's where, like, the center of all the worship of Aphrodite. Y'all know who Aphrodite is, right? The goddess of love, right? So, yeah, we won't go into her worship services. Um, Let's just say they weren't like ours, right? So people would go to Corinth, right, to make money and to party. It's kind of like Las Vegas, okay? And so Paul's going around to the churches at this time, and he's trying to take up an offering because there was a famine in Judea, and he's like, we need to help each other, right? We're all in the body of Christ. That's a common theme with Paul, right? He's like, well, let's take up an offering, and I'm going to take the money myself to the church in Jerusalem, And then they can distribute it to the poor among them. 
And we, as the church across the world, can help the church over there. That's a pretty cool thought, right? And so Paul goes to Corinth, and he's like, all right, guys, you know that offering I told you that I was going to pick up? Well, I'm here to get it. And the Corinthians didn't give. They didn't give anything. And so Paul's writing this letter to them, and he's like punking them, right? He's like, look at the Macedonians. So the Macedonians were just north in Greece, and it's kind of like the Arkansas of Greece. You know what I'm talking about? It's like they're up in the hills. They probably married their sister, and we just don't want to talk to them, right? That's the Macedonian church, right? What do they eat for dinner? Dirt, you know? Like they farm mud. I don't know. Anybody from Arkansas here? Praise God. I got family in Arkansas, and anyway. So Paul is, Paul is like, he's kind of like making fun of the Corinthians. He's let them, letting them have it by saying even those poor hillbillies in Macedonia gave. And they gave more than you rich folks in Corinth. Right? So I don't know about y'all, but when I don't have money, when my bank account starts dropping, I don't typically get very generous. Right? How many of you as college students, well known for being wealthy, right? Just like walk down the street and hand out ones, you know? You're like little Wayne and you're just like making it rain or whatever. Is he still cool? I don't know anymore. Whatever. That's not common, right? But did you know that there's two types of greed? Right? We're really familiar with like the rich man greed. You know what I mean? We're familiar with that rich man's greed where he's just trying to accumulate everything. I think it was John D. Rockefeller who was like the richest man in all of history. John D. Rockefeller said, I don't want all the land in the world. I just want the land that touches mine. Right? That's rich man's greed. But there's also poor man's greed. And that's the greed that I struggled with. Right? Whereas a rich man's greed is arms open, kind of like hungry, hungry hippos. You know that game where it's just like you're constantly grabbing for what you can get. But a poor man's greed is like your fist is clenched around what you do have because you're so afraid of letting it go. That's just as greedy. Right? Because greed isn't about being wealthy. It's about a refusal to be generous. But then Jesus comes along, right? And he starts talking about the kingdom of heaven, okay? And we've talked about the kingdom of heaven a lot, right? We've been calling it reality. And Jesus starts talking about, like, Lord, let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. So he's, he's calling us, sometimes when we, we say that or hear that prayer or read that in our Bibles, we kind of shift into this mode of thinking where we're like, oh, that's like in the future. Yeah, like when Jesus comes back riding on the clouds and, you know, those skies peel back and it's the end times, right? That's what he's talking about. No, what Jesus is talking about is you living under the laws of his kingdom now. He's talking about making heaven on earth now by how you conduct yourself. So 
when Jesus starts preaching about the kingdom, he's talking about a present action. He's talking about something that transforms your heart here and now, not in the sweet by and by. Right? And when Jesus talks about this, he talks about money a lot. Did you know that Jesus talks about money more than he talks about heaven and hell? Jesus talks about money more than he talks about heaven and hell. Right? So he's saying that the lordship of God doesn't just stop at our hearts, but it extends to our wallets and our checkbooks and our bank accounts. And when he starts talking about money, when he's talking about generosity and giving, he says some crazy stuff, right? He's saying like, sell all your stuff. If somebody says, I want your shirt, give them your jacket too. That's nuts, right? And then he goes like super hippie and he's like, man, just think about the birds and the flowers. They don't do anything, but they're fine. What kind of hippie nonsense is that, Jesus? Right? I live in a world where I can't just, like, sit on a branch and, like, yell at people and then be fine. Right? That seems to be true. That's, like, what what I've experienced in my life is that we can't just not worry about these things. But is Jesus a liar? No. So where is the truth? The truth in that statement is that Jesus knows that we are created for the Garden of Eden, right? Have you ever walked through a garden or an orchard or, I don't know, around here, just probably don't have those, but have you ever walked, imagine, (laughs) have you ever walked through a garden or an orchard when everything is in season, when it's harvest time? Do you ever walk through there and think, man, we're going to run out of fruit? No. No, it's always enough, right? And that's the environment that we're created for, and that's the environment that Jesus is restoring when he talks about the kingdom. He's telling us to live as though we're still in the Garden of Eden. When uh, my wife and I lived in the Czech Republic, we had the coolest backyard in history, right? It was like one square foot. It was tiny, but it had grass, you know, It was the smallest backyard in history. It literally took me like two minutes to mow it with an electric mower that I thought was a toy, right? I legit thought the mower was a toy when I first saw it, right? But in our backyard, we had blackberries, wild strawberries, a plum tree. We had mint. We had lavender growing. Like we had cory. It was like a garden. And it was like smaller than a quarter of this stage, Our neighbors, who had the same amount of space, grew so many apricots that they gave us, they gave us a box, and we couldn't eat all of them. There was so much stuff, right? Sometimes the kids be like, I'm hungry. Like, open up the back door and go pick some blackberries. What's wrong with you? It was awesome. And then on the path to our little section of the town, the the sidewalk was lined with apple trees. And they were like, you know, since they're Czechs, they're former communists, so it was like the people's apple trees, you know? Those apples were real red, if you know what I'm saying. And so you could just walk by and pick them. You could just take them. 
It was amazing. Right? I think that's the closest to the Garden of Eden I'll ever be. Right? You could hardly throw fruit on the ground without it growing. It was amazing. And that's the kind of world that Jesus is telling us to function like we're in. And it seems crazy. It absolutely seems nuts. But here's something that blew my mind. Did you know that the United States alone grows enough food to feed the whole world? The United States alone grows enough food to feed the whole world. So while we're sitting here saying, God, you're nuts. How can that hippie stuff ever be true? What do you mean just sit around? What do you mean not to worry about what I'm going to eat? Yet the reality is, the United States alone grows enough food to feed every mouth on the planet. See, we don't have a production problem. The garden is still abundant. We have a distribution problem. We are created to live in the abundance, in the abundance of the Garden of Eden. That's how we should function. And that's actually how the world works. The problem is that we're selfish. And that selfishness and that sin has corrupted our ideas of what it means to be a, live in abundance or have abundance or to be generous. Does that make sense? Yeah. See, because of sin and selfishness and stupidity, we've come to have this funny idea of what abundance means, right? And, and if, if we're being honest, like typically when we think of somebody that, oh, there's, a, there's an abundance. He has enough. He has a lot. When we think of that, we think of like, I want enough for me to not do anything for the rest of my life, right? I'll have enough money when I don't have to ever work again, when I'm provided for until the day I die. But Jesus seems to say that that's not actually what real abundance is. If we open our Bibles to Luke chapter 12, in the parable of the rich fool, Jesus says this, the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. And then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich towards God. There's a lot of bad buts in the Bible. This is one of them. Right? Everything looks going good but God. You know? There, there's a couple. There's like one really good but. Like, you know, all the world was evil but Noah. That's a good but. You know? If that but wasn't there, your but wouldn't be here. Right? This, this is a bad but. Okay? But God said to him, you fool. But if we take out that part, and if I were to rephrase this story, put it in front of you, you would say that this man was wise. 
He had abundance and he stored up for himself. Now he can take it easy. What a wise man. But God is saying that's foolishness. So we must have something wrong. There's an analogy I heard that I absolutely love. And our, it's like our attitude toward what abundance is and God's provision is. It's kind of like, uh, it's kind of like, let's say I threw a dinner party, right? And a bunch of people over at my house and we're cooking food for them and stuff. But I have like all of my food in the kitchen, you know, waiting. And I'm only putting it out a little bit by little bit. Like I'm only putting out what we need to have out, right? And uh, like somebody there is like getting nervous when he sees the vegetable tray getting low. You know, like the, the celery's gone. Guys, the celery's gone. He starts panicking, you know, like grabbing his friends. Hey, Jim, Jim, the celery's gone. There's no more celery. Look, look, look at the ranch dip, the ranch dip. Right? And then like, him and Jim like conspire and they're like, grab the vegetable tray and go into the bedroom. We're going to keep this for ourselves, right? And they run off, right? And you're like, as the host of the party, you're like, no, 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 wait, like, what are you doing? I have more celery in the fridge, you weirdo, right? And then, like, panic spreads. Everybody's like, they stole a vegetable tray. Grab the fruit tray! Grab the fruit tray! I want the kiwis, right? And they're, like, sprint into the other bedroom, right? And then they run out of food in their bedrooms, right? And then they start raiding each other's rooms, like, we want fruit, you know? But that's how we act. God has plenty ready for us every day. But we're like, the ranch! The ranch is getting low! And we start fighting each, o- each other over these things. Isn't that ridiculous? But every day the earth produces enough food to feed every mouth. And because we panic... And we don't trust what God says is true. We create scarcity on our own. Our failure to be generous. Our failure to be generous causes scarcity. Isn't that crazy? So, we know that our definition of abundance is wrong. We know that our ideas of what it means to provide for ourselves is contrary to what God has. Does that make sense? So I'm going to give you the biblical definition of having abundance. What it means to have a lot. The biblical definition of abundance means enough to share. Biblical definition of abundance means enough to share. Whenever God gives you anything, whether it be money or time or energy or food, he gives you enough to share. This was the principle of the early church. We see in Acts chapter 4, That all the believers there held everything in common. They shared everything they had. Verse 33. With great power the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all. That there were no needy persons among them. 
For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone who had need. They always had enough to share. And I don't think it's a mistake that in verse 33, they're talking about a powerful witness about the resurrection of Jesus. And it's nestled in between a statement about generosity. If you want to see a move of God, you must be generous. In fact, this was one of the major complaints of the early church, history nerd time, okay? So in the first 300 years of Christianity, we know that it was illegal under Roman law, right? And they did their best to stamp it out. But one of the complaints was that the church was just so recklessly giving. In fact, one of the names for the Christians was the reckless ones. There was one emperor in particular named Julian the Apostate. Right? He was a later emperor and he was convinced that Rome was declining because they weren't sacrificing to the old gods. And so he tried to erase Christianity. But he said this, Nothing has contributed to the progress of the superstition of these Christians as their charity to strangers. They are promiscuous in their generosity. Isn't that crazy? That even the opponents of Christianity noted how generous and giving they were because they always had enough to share. This is how God has created us to live. With the mindset that I have enough to share. I have a dear friend that was a college student. Right? He got a job to make ends meet. And one day, some missionaries came and spoke at our Chi Alpha. And the Lord touched him. And one day a week... He gave up going to get Whataburger or whatever, and he sat at home and he ate a simple meal of peanut butter and jelly. And the money that he would have given to Whataburger or McDonald's, he set aside. And he gave it to missions. One day a week, he saved about $12. And over the course of a month, that's about $50. And he was just a college student. He had enough to share. I can give you testimony from my own life. As a missionary, when, when you just don't have the funds coming in. When for whatever reason, you don't have money, but you still have to do ministry. And I can tell you how over and over again, as recently as a year ago, my wife and I, we just didn't have enough money. We only got $1,200 on a paycheck. And we have over $3,000 of expenses. And we still have to do ministry. I still have to come here to preach. I still have, we still had friends coming over from the Czech Republic. And we'd open the mailbox and there'd be $400 inside. We'd come home and there would be a check underneath our doormat for $1,000. And this lasted for four months. And we didn't keep it, we shared it. I'm not saying that to try and look good. If you spent five minutes around me, you know I'm not that holy. (laughs) 
But I'm saying it to give you a vision and an idea of what's possible. The point I'm trying to make is that if you're waiting to be generous when you have enough, you'll never be generous. If you're waiting to be giving when you have enough, you will never be giving. See, you will become who you choose to be now. Or as F.W. Borum says, we make our decisions and then our decisions turn around and make us. We make our decisions and then our decisions turn around and make us. So here's what we're going to do. In a couple weeks, we have some missionaries coming in. Right? And just like the Macedonian church, we're just a bunch of hillbillies without a lot of money. Right? But I think that we can give. I think that we can give. And so, on Missions Week... November 19th, when we have all those missionaries come, we're going to take up an offering. And 100% of that offering is going to go to missions. We will not keep a penny in Chi Alpha. All of it will go to missionaries across the world because the church on a whole can help the church over there. Do you see that? With the number of people that we have in Chi Alpha, if each of us can give up Whataburger or Rosa's or Chick-fil-A one time a week, between now and then, we can raise over $5,000 for missions. Do you know how easy that is? Do you think it's possible that you can sit down one day, eat a simple meal of peanut butter and jelly, and then take that money that you would have spent on a hamburger or whatever, and say, Jesus, I'm sacrificing this for the church. I'm giving this to missions. Do you think we can do it? Because the question that we have to answer is not how much money can I give? It's not how much of my money am I willing to give? But how much of God's money do I dare to keep? It's not about how much of my money I'm willing to give, but how much of God's money I dare to keep. Because God doesn't have a production problem, he has a distribution problem. And we can bless the world. Do you believe that God can change the world from San Angelo, Texas? There's going to be missionaries out there that can print Bibles, they can buy meals, they can buy clothes and shoes, like the Harrisons. Do you know what they could do with an offering the size of what we could give? Do you know how many mouths that will feed? How many refugees that risk their lives to get to Italy? Do you know how many people that will bless? Let's have the worship band come on up. So I'm praying that we as a Chi Alpha can give over $5,000.
If everyone gives $50, which is just one Whataburger meal a week between now and then, we'll be able to do it. That's so doable, isn't it? So I think we don't really need to have altar time. We're going to sing a song and say thank you to God for what he's given us because he is so generous and kind. But I want you to really commit in your heart and ask the Lord, how much do you want me to give? Because you know that you have enough to share. Does that make sense? Let's pray.